I'm Sandra Keen, and this podcast is about what cybersecurity experts are doing to protect us from the bad guys. As I read the daily media reports about new cyber attacks on critical infrastructure, for example, there was one last week about nation-state threat actors targeting healthcare and other essential services in Australia, I get a bit scared. It makes me wonder whether the security experts that are keeping an eye on the bad guys have the tools they need to protect us from them. Joining us today is Kim Legellis, CMO of Nozomi Networks. We're going to talk about who the bad guys are and get Kim's thoughts on what the security community is doing to protect us. So Kim, you've been involved in, the, in cybersecurity for 25 plus years, with about 10 of those focused on protecting industrial operations like oil and gas and manufacturing and pharma, among others. When I began my career in marketing, I was drawn to beer and cereal because I wanted to produce those lifestyle ads I saw on TV. But after a few years, I saw the light and I switched to technology because I saw the potential that it had to make a real difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what drove your interest in cybersecurity and why big industry specifically? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I did not start my career with beer, although I sometimes wish that I had. Um, you know, I like many people, I sort of fell overall into cybersecurity. I, I exited college and went part to become part of a large telecommunication company. That company had high tech businesses, including this, the beginnings of um, this thing called cybersecurity, which was really um, a company called GTE Cybertrust. And they did a PKI or public key infrastructure uh, originally for as part of their contract with the US government. And then they spun that out into a commercial division. And I had some experience in commercial technology marketing as in other parts of that company. And so I joined them to help them determine how to bring their cybersecurity solutions to the commercial marketplace and in particular into the financial services sector. And then, um, you know, through that, I, I, I actually gravitated towards Symantec and I worked for Symantec again, um, helping them with their financial services offerings in particular. Um, and then, you know, a few years later and a couple jobs later, 9-11 uh, happened and there was a lot of disruption and it made me like you reflect on um, my career and I was definitely happy to be part of cybersecurity and felt that cybersecurity was a bit of my patriotic duty that it was a way for me um, to be able to contribute to making sure that society was secure and not disrupted. And I joined a company called Industrial Defender, which was one of the pioneers in um, cybersecurity for critical infrastructure and the industrial sector. So that was sort of my path um, that took me then um, and now to more than a decade in that industrial um, and critical infrastructure cybersecurity sector. Well, I think your reasons for being involved in protecting the infrastructure that we all rely on in our everyday lives reflects the really honorable background of many others in the security community that I've talked with. Mm -hmm. But there's a much darker side to cybersecurity. You know, we've heard the term hackers and cyber terrorists, and now we're hearing state-sponsored threat, act threat actors being used a lot. So just who are the bad guys that we need to keep an eye on? Well, interestingly, from my background came from financial services. So the bad guys in, in the financial services sector in you know the, the 1990s were primarily people who were interested in stealing money. 
right? Um, and banks, you know, banks were used to people trying to steal money. Since the beginning of time, people have been trying to steal money from banks. And so they understood quickly how, the need for security or what it became to be called cybersecurity. Um, and then as I moved into the industrial sector, that same level of awareness didn't exist. Uh, and often in talking to, you know, critical infrastructure ind industrial companies or utilities, um, there was always a frustration amongst the experts, the, the early security experts, that they just couldn't get the attention of um, people that mattered to understand the risk. And that began to change um, around 2000 and I'm trying to think what year it was. I think it was 2013. President Obama passed, passed um, a cybersecurity executive order that identified the the risks around 15 and, and the need to secure what they defined as 15 critical sectors of the U.S. economy. Uh, everything from critical manufacturing, some financial services aspects, but lots of things around. Um, things that provided clean water um, and energy, uh, things that funded, you know, things that were fundamental to our economic and um, just daily lives in the United States. So that combined with some um, utility industry regulations called NERC or NERC-SIP um, helped bring awareness to the fact that there were other types of bad actors um, that could be operating, right? Uh, people who would want to disrupt critical infrastructure are necessarily different type of people necessarily. There were still certainly people motivated by financial gain. So organized crime and other financial um, malfeasance existed. But um, now the, the attention was also in, uh, the scope was in broadened to include, for example, uh, you know, cyber terrorism, nation state actors who would seek to do harm to the United States or threaten that they could, um, activists, you know, this became the area of Wiki WikiLeaks, right? And the ability to use information um, and create uh, online um, opportunities to express one's political views, whether for whatever the motivation might be. So there's sort of a pretty broad portfolio of threat actors that are operating today. Uh, and you know the and there's and there's still the financial ones, right? The, obviously, much of the ransomware, the rampant ransomware that we're seeing affect the industrial sector, in many ways, has actually motivated um, not by nation-state actors, but or, or cyber criminals, but actually by um, financial gain um, of of criminals. Well, you know, from what I've seen the capabilities of these various threat actors really scare me. We've seen, and, and as a result of that, we've seen the requirements for cybersecurity technology change dramatically as the attacks have increased in volume and their potential impact turns deadly. You know, when we're talking about electricity and water and transportation, um, the impact of that could be very significant. Um, and we've also seen the, the um, security needs pushed to new levels in the past six months, thanks to the shift to remote working related to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So how have you seen the world's perception of cybersecurity change, change recently? Wow. So I think that the trend has just been escalated lately, but um, certainly there is an, uh, a much, you know, obviously I've, had sat in this chair, had a front row seat, as I like to say, to trends in cybersecurity for a really long time. And I think there's 
probably four things that I would say have really changed. One is the level of awareness, right? The fact that um, the magnitude of the impact and the type of threats that exist, whether it's because the threat actors have changed or because of the, the dramatic implications of um, ceasing certain types of critical infrastructure operations, um, that level of awareness has gone from having to explain the problem as a marketer of, around cyber threats to actually shift to talking about what can be done about it. So awareness would be the first one. And motivation, I think, would be the other. Um, in the earlier days of um, industrial cybersecurity, it is, I think, a fact that regulations were a driving uh, factor behind people's investments in mitigating those risks. And I think that those motivations have shifted from compliance-driven purchases to absolutely risk-based um, concerns. You know, thinking about the implications and the risks that a cyber attack on industrial critical infrastructure would have um, on the health and well-being of employees, um, customers, um, or just bystanders is, is substantial. And so people are motivated to manage that risk and improve the resiliency of um, their operations. So that would be the second. The third, we sort of touched on a little bit when we talked about the threat landscape. Um, you know, the newspapers are covering it, um, but the, the threats against industrial targets have escalated by some reports um, over 2000% over the last year. So the, there's no question that the threats coming from that wide range of actors that I mentioned are escalating substantially. And then lastly, I think, um, interestingly enough, what's changed a lot is the type of ways to address those risks. So there's a lot of innovation that has happened in the last five years that have given operators in a wide range of industries, whether it's manufacturing or utilities or oil and gas, energy, mining, um, transportation, has given those organizations actually really effective tools for being able to understand the level of risk, monitor their operations, and um, rapidly address emerging issues or threats that are affecting those particular organizations and operations. So one of the um, organizations that the part of the security community, as part of the security community, Nozomi Networks has been um, developing and uh, providing security solutions since I think about 2013. So what do you think uh, differentiates Nozomi Networks in the security community's effort to secure this critical infrastructure and other industrial operations? Right, well, that's a super good question. So Nozomi is a very unique company. Um, so I'm gonna say something that sounds somewhat cliche, um, but is absolutely a, a fact. Uh, Nozomi's really customer obsessed. Um, the, our, our customers, those industrial companies and critical infrastructure companies are the heart of pretty much every single thing that we do. It's the heart of our engineering. It's the heart of our marketing and selling. Uh, it's the heart of, um, it drives us to innovate to meet the future and evolving needs of customers. It makes sure we provide the right kind of support. So um, it sounds cliche, but that customer obsession has actually translated into uh, Nozomi emerging as a leader, um, whether that's because we have the most innovative and product um, products that are available in the market to you know, provide visibility and security into the industrial sector, 
whether that's the, the incredibly broad range of partners that we have accumulated, um, you know, from systems in the world's best systems integrators and, and, and frankly, cybersecurity companies overall who need an uh, operational security partner who knows the unique requirements of, of that arena um, to you know, channel and um, VAR partners throughout, uh, throughout the globe. But behind it all, um, you know, we have great customer rankings and 100% retention. And we, when we test our product against competitors, we win more than 80% of the time. Those are all facts. But behind it all, um, if you ask people who work with Nozomi why and what they love about Nozomi and what makes us different, they talk about um, the people and our commitment to, to them, the customer. And I'm really, really proud to be part of an organization like that. What I've seen is that the threats are evolving, the solutions are evolving, and the technology is going to have to continue to evolve to address these new threats that are coming out. So if we look forward uh, a year or two or even five years, where do you think this is going or what do you see in your security crystal ball? Mm. Yeah, crystal ball. Um... So, you know, if you read the newspapers and you see the escalation in these sophisticated attacks and the tenacity of those threat actors, um, you could be pessimistic about the, it could kind of seem like the, the sky is falling. But actually my perspective, having been in the, kind of at this challenge for, you know, more than 20 years is that I'm extremely optimistic um, despite those things that the fact that there is a lot of great minds and a lot of innovation going into how to defeat those threat actors um, and how to do it quickly and easily uh, is really something that gives me optimism. So, you know, there's awareness that exists, as I mentioned before, that awareness is actually driving um, a commitment to resources to address the risks coming from the boards of organizations uh, and you know, the chief information security officers are highly focused on it. So that there's a lot of attention in the space and that's a good thing. And you combine that with the availability of innovation, innovative, excuse me, innovative solutions. Um, and for me at least, um, there is, uh, it leads me to be much more optimistic about the future. I don't think the challenges will cease. Um, I think that there will continue to be escalations in the threats and there will continue to be innovations by the people on the other side fighting those threats. And, um, you know, I'm an optimist and I believe that the good guys are going to win. Thanks, Kim, for telling your story and your optimism. I believe that cybersecurity threats and the technology that's used to fight them will continue to evolve. So I encourage those listening to check out the other podcasts in this series to hear more stories about the security experts themselves and what they're doing to keep us all safe in an unsafe world. My pleasure.